Welcome to The Phoenix Files. I'm James Fitzgerald, Senior Reporter for New Model Advisor. Thousands of people were affected by the British Steel Pension scandal. They were left vulnerable and helpless and unsure of how they'll be able to afford their retirement. In May 2017, Tata, which owned the British Steel Pension Scheme, reached an agreement to move the scheme off its books. This followed a year of talks with the pensions regulator. This meant around 40,000 steel workers had to choose whether to go into the Pension Protection Fund, a new British Steel Pension Scheme, or transfer out of their gold-plated pensions altogether. That's when the trouble started. Throughout this period, a flock of advisors sped down to towns with high concentrations of steel workers, such as Scunthorpe, Teesside and Port Talbot, to advise those steel workers on their options. What followed was a mis-selling frenzy by IFAs which was not helped by poor communication from British Steel, its trustees, and the FCA. About 8,000 steel workers, mainly from Wales, collectively transferred around 2.8 billion from the firm's scheme in 2017, with many of those steel workers' pensions ending up in risky investments, which have either massively lost value or gone bust. The FCA has acted since the scandal came to light, such as initiating enforcement action against many IFAs and closing many more. But many in the industry say its actions were too little, too late. Nearly six years later, the scandal is still ongoing, but there might be light at the end of the tunnel. As only the other month, the FCA finally announced it is proposing a redress scheme to compensate steel workers. But the end of the British steel mis-selling saga, which upended so many working people's lives, still seems a long way off. Over the next four weeks, we'll be taking over the advice show, where I'll be giving you insight into financial advisors, pension experts, and those affected by the British steel pension scheme scandal. I'll be exploring how widely the scandal disrupted people's lives and what is still left to be done about it. Let's begin episode three. Gareth Fatchett is the FSL legal solicitor and notary public partner and lawyer for the British Steel Advisor Group. The British Steel Advisor Group is a newly formed group of IFAs, mainly in South Wales, that gave advice to steel workers. He explained the support he is giving those IFAs. British Steel Advisor Group is obviously a group of firms that are uh, materially exposed to British Steel pension transfers. So they're the firms that have done the bulk of transfers and they're the firms that if the redress scheme as proposed under CP226 were implemented would have the most to lose. Um, These are mostly um, firms that are chartered, they're decent firms and the vast majority of them, their British Steel client bank is probably under 5% of their actual client banks. So it's only a small part of the business. MP for Blenauer Gwent, Nick Smith, believes more thought should have been given to the workers' best interests. I think uh, everybody who gave advice about um, two steel workers, uh, then about moving away from their DB pension, should say to themselves, uh, was this in the best interests or not? of the steelworker and um, by and large uh, um, the uh, view is that DB pensions are very good pensions and they support families into um, uh, retirement and um, uh, moving away from them uh, in a complex world of pensions to steelworkers who were vulnerable um, consumers um, is something that I think IFAs need to ask themselves about and say, well, was this the right thing to do? Now, everybody's different and the circumstances are different and the uh, discussions that would have taken place between the IFAs and the steelworkers is at the core of this. 
Um, but uh, in the round, I, I put the challenge back to IFAs and say, hand on heart, did you think this was the right thing to do at the time? And all of that will now come out of the woodwork, won't it? If there's uh, proven to be um, uh, fraud or conspiracy or money stolen, then that money should be recovered. So, uh, listen, I um, applaud that aspect of the FCA's work. I think they have to show themselves to be a firm rate regulator and stop companies um, uh, moving funds uh, away from uh, being challenged by a regulator and others. Um, but it should have happened earlier. Associate for Clark Wilmot, Mamadou Wahid, talked us through the process of the newly announced redress scheme for steel workers. It's a proposed scheme, so um, it's, it's difficult to give a, an opinion on, on the scheme without seeing the detail, and, and um, in particular in relation to redress, because uh, that's one of the things that the FCA has said that, that they're looking to change, or they, they're going to be releasing a consultation paper on. Our experience of the redress scheme having taken clients through um, the existing, sorry, the, the existing guidance in relation to redress is that it's very ambiguous. There's lots of areas that are not entirely clear, leading to disputes, delay. So it's really an area that the FCA, well, rightly has recognised that need it needs to be looked at, and they will be looking at over the over the summer. So so we we are very keen to understand what the, what the regulators' thoughts are on the types on of the kind of redress or the the redress methodology that will be used in the scheme. But generally, the principle of a redress scheme it's one that Clark Wilmot has been um, asking for since. Um, Philippa Hans, you know, my colleague Philippa's very early meetings with the FCA is something that we've wanted and really <coughs> the Financial Ombudsman Service and the FSCS have said that not enough steel workers um, have been taking action in relation to the advice that they had and that's one of the things that we will probably see as a result of the redress scheme being addressed, which is more people taking action. So that very welcome. There are some good advisors out there who are now very worried uh, about the advice that they gave previously and the prospects of the redress scheme um, and then being thrown into the same category, as it were, of unregulated introducers and advisors that sold scams and Ponzi schemes, etc. Um, what I would say into response to that is, look, the, the, these very good advisors, and I know they're out there, they will have an opportunity, again, assuming the redress scheme comes into effect, they will have an opportunity to assess their own files. Um, and if a referral is made to the Financial Ombudsman Service or um, indeed a steelworker um, issues court proceedings, that same advisor would again be given the opportunity to, to have their say and put forward their case on suitability. Um, the Financial Ombudsman Service um, uh, makes decisions on the basis of what's fair and reasonable. Um, it is um, non-partisan. It doesn't side with one side or the other. Um, it does independently look at a case. Um, and Clark Walmart, we don't have any sway over what the Financial Ombudsman Service decides, neither does the Financial Conduct Authority. It can say what it likes in the um, redress paper, um, if it comes into effect, but the Financial Ombudsman Service and indeed, like I say, a court, a judge, they will make their own independent assessment. Just sticking to the court point, a court, um, if we're talking about negligence, the advisor doesn't need to be perfect. They simply need to be up to the standard of a reasonably competent professional given the kind of advice that we're looking at. 
um, and a court would <coughs> Then if we're looking at court proceedings, a court would ask experts, so another advice professional, another IFA, um, experienced IFA, what would you have done in this situation, given this set of facts, given the pension scheme as it was, given the various options, what would, competent, what would a competent advisor have done? If the competent advisor, the expert, agrees um, with the um, defendant, the advisor, who's had a claim made against them, the advisor has nothing to worry about. They will have their opportunity to um, to contribute, um, to put their case forward. So that's what I would say. Um, I'm aware also, James, that, that there's a lot of controversy in relation to the DBAT, so the Defined Benefit Assessment Tool. Um, uh, and I know that's the subject of <laughs> much of the discussion as well, from what I've read in relation to the submissions to the Select Committee. My understanding is that under FISMA, so that's the Financial Services and Markets Act, the Financial Conduct Authority has quite broad powers to specify what activities fall within the redress scheme and give examples of the acts and omissions which it considers or believes to be regulatory failures. It can specify what can be taken into account when, when assessing what is a regulatory failure and also what needs to be taken into account when assessing the losses arising from those failures. The caveat or the protection from the industry or the advisor's point of view is that those failures that are identified by the FCA um, must be ones, or the, the failures looking to be remedied by the FCA, sorry, must be ones that are recognised by a court. So I think I've mentioned it, when it comes to court, a court would look at the COBS rules and guidance that was for in force at the time of the advice, so we're looking at between 2016 and 2018, and assess what would a reasonably competent advisor have done in 2016, in 2018, um, with, the, with the rules and guidance as it was in force at the time. Now, whilst the DBAT itself wasn't in force or in existence in 2016, uh, when a particular steelworker was advised to transfer, the DBAT um, is one <coughs> that is based on rules and guidance that was in force at the, at the time. And your, your listeners may want to look at or consider the annex to the FCA's consultation paper, uh, which includes, <coughs> uh, which, sorry, lists the indicators of su suitability um, as defined in the proposed redress scheme, alongside the handbook references from 2016, 2018. Uh, so it says, uh, example, um, uh, steelworker under age 50, um, indicator of unsuitability, and then it has the references to the handbook guidance. Um, so you can, you can see wi yeah, which guidances or which rules are being relied upon from 2016 when 2018 um, when looking at the indicators of suitability. Um, again, your listeners might also want to look at the grant, uh, the paper that the FCA commissioned from Grant Thornton. Um, again, Grant Thornton is an expert. Um, they've been asked to give their views on suitability in BSPS cases. And my understanding is that the FCA, um, or sorry, that the Grant Thornton's report, again, it's publicly available, has fed into the DBAT, so the BSPS modified DBAT. Pensions and Retirement Spokesperson at Hargreaves Lansdowne, Helen Morrissey, spoke about how beneficial the redress scheme will be to many affected steelworkers. 
the redress scheme is is a real positive. I mean, I think one of the things that came out of the National Audit Office report is that, you know, a lot of people that are potentially affected by this in terms of the steel workers have yet to come forward to claim compensation. And so obviously there's a concern there that there's a lot of people out there that either aren't aware or, or you know, face missing out, you know, being time barred by putting um, a, a complaint in because, as you say, it's been, it's been rambling on um for a very very long time so from from you know my point of view my my personal view is that anything that means that as many people as possible who have been you know financially disadvantaged if you know if as many of them as possible can be um compensated then then that is is a, a real positive and and you know it should be seen as so um i think maybe from an advisory point of view you know having to go through and assess all of those cases um i think it is going to have um, a time and cost implication for them um that maybe a lot of them are quite concerned about she's conscious of how some advisors are worried about the scheme it's dreadful isn't it the idea that you know somebody um you know could be in a position where they go out of business because they've delivered um you know poor advice and that they then just go off and they and they set up elsewhere and you know that that kind of being seen to you know sidestep their responsibilities um you know isn't right and certainly more um needs to be done to stop that you know to make sure you know because financial advice should be the gold standard you know anybody that goes to a financial advisor you know, should should do so, you know, knowing that they're getting the best possible advice. And, you know, there's the vast, vast majority of cases, that is what people get. You know, advisors pride themselves on looking after their clients and giving the best possible advice. And it's, you know, terrible that, you know, a small number of, of rotten apples are potentially undermining, um, you know, trust in, you know, what is a great profession. She said bad financial advice given during the scandal should not go unnoticed. I can completely understand why advisors would um, be concerned about that. You know, the idea that the redress scheme, as is currently um, proposed, um, is is an opt-out rather than opt-in scheme as well. Um, and I can imagine there are advisors maybe, you know, concerned that um, their, their advice will be deemed to be unsuitable when, you know, at the time, they genuinely believed um, that it was. I think the FCA has recently come out and said good advisors have nothing to fear from um, the redress scheme. Um, but I think there's still a few kind of moving parts as part of this consultation that advisors are concerned about. So um, I think it's kind of, you know, how that the suitability of that, of that advice is going to be assessed. I know that there were some advisors saying we don't know enough about the FCA's approach to this for us to feel comfortable about that. Um, and, you know, I'm not an expert in that in that particular area, but, you know, there's a lot of unknowns out there for advisors um, that they might be, you know, hit with, with claims that they maybe hadn't accounted for. That was the third episode of Phoenix Files. Again, if you want to get in touch about anything we've spoken about, please contact me at jfitzgerald at cityy.co.uk. See you next week for the final episode. This is a CityWire Studios production, and the producer was Neve Doyle.